From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea Creation's revealing your majesty From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring Every creature unique in the song that it sings All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by
Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me new, now life begins with you Your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no My shame was a ransom.
lose himself in light. Darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great seated. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. 
more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. All right, so let's, uh, John chapter 13, if I remember, I'll blurt it out. John 13, open up your Bibles. This morning we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, If you see there's towels laid about the room, that's on purpose. You'll know what is up with that here in a minute. I am just a few months away from my one-year mark here at Emmanuel Church, and this morning I wanted, I wanted to take an opportunity to continue to cast kind of the vision of the next chapter of this church, and also just share my heart here, <clears throat> as I am also apparently losing my voice. <clears throat> so here will be kind of the lingering question throughout our morning today. What should Emmanuel Church be known for? Why should others want to be here with us? What draws people to this church? What keeps you at this church? I want those questions to linger for a bit. What should Emmanuel be known for? Why should others want to be here with us? What draws people here? What keeps you here? Silence can be awkward. Let those questions kind of sit. I'm not one to want to play games of church growth. And let me describe what I mean by games of church growth. Um, I'm not convinced that high attendance or a large budget or those things that on the outside have perhaps the appearance of a healthy and growing church, those things are not always symptoms of health. We can draw people in by giving away free iPads to visitors, right? I mean, we could do whatever we wanted to get people in this building. Um, You know, a packed house is not always symptomatic of health. The goal is not like, you know, Amazon here, where it's just never-ending growth for growth's sake. We have bigger things in mind and more heart-level things that Jesus set before us that I want to share with you this morning. Um, What what we're going to look at, right, is um, one of the things that undergirds any church that is healthy at its core, any church that is flourishing at its core, whether a group of of 12 or 50 or, you know, 1,000, I'm going to try to aim this morning at one of the most core things that Jesus kind of laid out for his disciples that said, if you are going to chase and follow after me, this is one of the first things that you must carry with you for the rest of your life in Christ. In fact, the thing you're going to hear this morning is just found in John chapter 13. If it's, it, it gives meaning to everything else that we do here. It will provide purpose and it will provide the discipleship impact that is needed to uh, uh, let the love of Christ begin bleeding amongst us all here and that we ourselves become more and more reflective of who Jesus is. This is a very important piece if we're going to be seeking to continually renew the culture here at this church. So I pray this morning that your heart is open wide to hear what John chapter 13 has to say. This is a famous part of the Bible. I'm sure you've heard it before if you've been in church for any length of time. And don't worry, I will not be taking off your shoes to wash your feet this morning. John chapter 13, verse one. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus was nearing the end of his ministry on earth. The following day, he would be murdered by the Romans. He knew his time was coming. 
Therefore, Jesus here is inviting his disciples to love one another like he loves them and how he will love them. Remember that phrase, he loved them until the end, because the following scene is not the end. The scene will point us towards the cross, where Jesus did indeed love them until the end. These two stories of the cross and of the foot washing, as we're going to read, are tied together intentionally by the author John, and we'll see how so in a few minutes. But what does this love of Christ look like for his disciples? What does it look like for his love to be fulfilled towards his disciples? Let's see. During supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now you got to imagine all these disciples are kind of sitting at this table awkwardly, like leaning back and facing forward. They ate dinner very strangely in those days. In the middle of this kind of semi-circle, they would have been like reclining and eating. Jesus just stands up and he lays aside his outer garments and he, taking a towel, he ties it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he suddenly stands up and he knows the betrayer is filled with Satan himself. His ends are determined. And Jesus knows where he's going. He knows that this is the end game, right? That the cross is right before him. And therefore he he does something here that would have caught the breath. It's hard for us to see um, in, in, you know, 21st century America, but This would have absolutely caught the breath of these disciples in Rome, in the old honor kind of society that was so prevalent across Rome, that was woven into the very fabric of the culture of the Roman Empire. Jesus, um, uh, he, he does something that would even kind of bring shame to his disciples, embarrassment to his disciples. He stands up and starts literally like stripping down to like his not his undies necessarily, but pretty close to it, all right? And that's real, like I did the research, that's that's how much a worker would have been dressed, right? And he got his work clothes on and he removes his outer garments and he starts doing the work of a bond servant. He does the work that would have been reserved for the absolute lowest in Roman society, that even these disciples are not quite there. They're a little above that, right? And Jesus stoops down and begins doing that sort of work. As the disciples are reclining and eating, um, he, he grabs the basin and begins washing their feet. Now, you've probably heard this before, I don't know, but the feet of these early disciples would have been gross. Everybody's feet were gross in those days. It was a hot climate. They had sandals on. They didn't have plumbing in their homes to take regular baths. It was just going to be a gross, you know, walking around gross feet. And you have a house and you don't want to walk in with your gross feet. There was a servant that would have come and made sure your feet are clean to not spread the grossness around the house, right? And so Jesus does that work himself in this passage. This is the Lord of all the earth. This is the Son of God and flesh in a society that is obsessed with honor, obsessed with status, obsessed with titles and whose office this or, you know, even a rabbi had a higher, you know, standing in this day. Nobody would have done this. This was dishonoring for Jesus. I mean, if word got around that Jesus was washing people's feet, he would have lost a lot of his reputation as a local rabbi and teacher. He was above this sort of thing. This is radically anti-cultural. And as much as I can say that, it's hard for us to feel the impact that a first century person reading this story would have been like, now this is different. I don't see anybody else, any other leader around here doing things like this. This is different, right? Peter's confused, as they all probably were. Like, this doesn't make any sense to us. And as Peter normally does when he's confused or excited or anything, he starts talking. That's what he does. 
And so the next verse becomes, it says, uh, verse 7, uh, he, Jesus made his way to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you don't understand. But afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, if you want to really translate this, like, extremely, extremely literally from the original language, it would have been something like, you know, we have idioms in our English, you know, modern era, like, never in a million years, Jesus. That's kind of the force here, like, never. Like, no, 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 this is absolutely just, no, Jesus, never, ever, this is not for you to be doing. And Jesus kind of cryptically responds, right? It's like, Peter, you don't get it now. You know, we'll get it later. And then um, uh, 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 Jesus continues. He says, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no share with me. This humble kind of act, this lowly act, is suddenly now Jesus is speaking extremely firmly with Peter. He's like, if I don't do this for you, Peter, there's, you can't even share in me. and You have no part in me anymore. You cannot even be my disciple because this is what it means to be my disciple. This is the force of Jesus's language. Now, there's even more going on here. There's something woven into the very fabric of what it means to not just follow Jesus, but there's something woven into the very fabric of who Jesus is that says, Peter, if I am to be myself to you, and if you do not accept me for what I am doing, there is simply no way you can really be a part of me because this is who I am. This is kind of the language used here. Very strong statement from Jesus. You're thinking, well, this is a little intense. Why so strong, right? And then Peter, he hears that. And then Peter, you know, abruptly responds. He says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands, also my head. And here's when Jesus, you know, probably kind of rolls his eyes and was like, here we go. One more time, right? Because what, what Peter hears here is he, he's saying, well, I'm, I'm like, you know, because he had 12 disciples, he had inner three, his, his, his three boys, right? Peter, James, and John. And Peter was kind of like the spokesman. So he was, he was in the end in the end, okay? And he had a bit of a status here with this guy who had status. This is a rabbi. He was walking around healing people and raising the dead. And here's Peter, his right-hand man, and Peter's like, wait, if I don't do this and I don't have a, a part in you, then, then that, that is, this affects my role. No, 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 Well, Jesus, then wash everything, right? Because Peter's thinking about himself again here. And I, I did, you know, a lot of work here and there's lots of kind of opinion. Why would Peter kind of say this, you know? But there's a part of this where Peter's concerned potentially, highly, you know, potential, concerned about his own status here as being next to Jesus. He can't lose that. Because they all were convinced that he was the king about to go and overthrow Rome. And he couldn't wait to be there at his side for that. So he's like, whatever, Jesus, if I'm going to lose part in you, then just take all of me then. And Jesus responds, those who have bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean it may seem like Jesus has some kind of knowledge that they all bathed that day. That's really not what he's saying. Because he says, you know, not all of you are clean. Judas was inwardly unclean, right? So he's saying, like, Peter, you're overthinking this. You're thinking the wrong ways. You're, you're, you're good. Like, you have faith. You're following me. Like, you're clean here, even though one of you isn't, right? He's like, you, it's, it's, it's not about that right here. It's not about your status. It's not about you right here, Peter. And then he continues on in verse 12. When he had washed their feet, when he had scrubbed their toenails down and done that nasty work, he puts on his outer garments and he resumed his place, you know, sitting at the table. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So after he sits back down and puts his clothing back on, he explains what happened. Something really unusual Jesus does here. He actually like leverages his title for once. I mean, maybe he, he does this, 
um, you know, the woman of the well. I mean, it's, I should have really did that work. I don't know how many times he does this, but it's extremely rare. For, usually when Jesus, somebody's like, you're the Messiah. He's like, shh, don't tell anybody. And of course they tell the world and everybody's rushing towards him. Like usually he's kind of like hiding from, you know, the crowds and really letting everybody know who he is, which is a whole, you know, sermon in and of itself. But here he's like, guys, I am your Lord. I'm your teacher, right? Like I have those titles. Okay, great. So that means that whatever I do that you need to do. So he's, he's leveraging that title. He's saying, if, follow me here. If I did this as your Lord, then you must also do this. He's leveraging his title in a upside down manner because what he did was not um, uh, necessarily worthy of someone with his title. This is not worthy in the, in the Roman Empire of somebody with the titles of teacher and Lord. This is the upside down nature of Jesus that he flips everything upside down and he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to do this kind of work. This is where it gets really cool. F.F. Bruce, he's a famous New Testament scholar, pastor. He's passed away a while back. He had this to say about this group of verses. Jesus says, F.F. Bruce, now listen to this. He says, he, in, these, in this story, he manifested the form of God on earth more perfectly than would otherwise have been possible. Think about this. The form of God was not exchanged for, uh, sorry, the form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant, but rather it was revealed in the form of a servant. In the washing of their feet, the disciples, though they did not understand it at the time, saw a rare unfolding of the authority and the glory of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and a rare declaration of who the Father is himself. Did you catch that nuance there? Jesus did not become a servant in some sort of exchange from his deity, but no, when God enters flesh, it should have been expected that he would be a servant because God is love. This is the kind of stuff that God does because of who he is. And Jesus, yes, there's, you know, glimpses of the transfiguration, raising the dead, the big miraculous event where we know he's divine. But sometimes we miss acts like this and we see just as much of the evidence of his divinity as we do in those other more grand stories because this is who God is. He is a self-giving God. He is a gracious God. He has given all of himself to us and it is revealed here in John 13 by Jesus washing their feet. He is revealing to him that he truly is the son of God. In verse 16, he continues on. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is a shorter sermon. We're near the, the back end of our sermon here. Um, actually, it's not true. I'm halfway through. I wrote that down. That's what happens, right? Um, the story we, we see here is not finished, okay? He loved them until the end. Okay, remember that phrase, all right? The story is not finished. As the night goes on, and we rehearse these things throughout the, the holy season that just went by us. The night goes on to take the final supper together, which we'll do at, at our closing today. The final Passover meal, the partaking in the bread, the symbolizing his body broken for us. The cup symbolizing his blood poured out for us. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's put on trial, he's beaten, and then he is executed. Now, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, as the hours went by, John 19, verse 30 says that after Jesus re received a quick sip to drink, he yells, it is finished, and he died. Now, you know, the Bible is written in a different language than English, and sometimes famous phrase lost in translation can happen no matter how hard super smart people try to get this in a language that reflects, you know, the language it was originally written in. That word, it is finished, is in essence the same as that word that was used in John 13, that he loved them until the end. And so what is John trying to connect for the reader here? You would have saw Jesus saying, this is it. 
this is the end. I have loved them unto the end. So the, the foot washing wasn't an end of itself. It was just pointing to the ultimate humble act of service, which was the giving of his own life for them. Washing feet even wasn't enough. He gave his life. And in that way, he loved them until literally the end. Why is this so important to see, right? Um, there's a lot of things that come out of this. John 13, 35, just right after the foot washing uh, story, Jesus is teaching his disciples what he calls a new commandment, that they should love one another. And he says in John 13, 35, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus says in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. John the Apostle, after Jesus said, you won't understand now, guys, but later you will. Later, John did get it when he wrote his letter, 1 John, in the other John 3, 16 passage. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. You see how they understood these things as time went on? Jesus did tell Peter, as we just said, he won't really understand, and John later got it. Guys, this is our call as a church. I don't care, not just this church, like the Christian church, like this is it. This is what we should be known by, because Jesus literally said so. Like if people are to know, you know what's fascinating, this is not my, whatever. I'm reading this book. Uh, I even forgot what it's called. I just picked it up. Church Historian. The church exploded by almost 40 to 50% per decade for 300 years when it first started, eventually leading to literally just permeating the Roman Empire so much that it reached eventually, you know, the highest of the land, Emperor Constantine himself, which eventually kind of Christianized the Roman Empire. And scholars always just look back and say, how in the world did this happen? Because everything we're reading here didn't have a home in Rome. Like, the society wasn't arranged to enable this to be flourishing. They were being persecuted and killed. And what's even more interesting is this guy, he, he read through almost all of the early church father writings. And he said, there's nothing about evangelism here. I'm not finding, like, sermons or, you know, uh, books or things written on evangelism. But they were exploding in numbers and conversion and baptism and baptisms, but rarely would, would actually be talking about mission. You know his conclusion was? It was the way they lived. It was fulfilling John 13 here that people saw how the church cared for their own and they said, wow, that's nowhere else to be found. What is going on with this group of people, right? And they would say, come meet Jesus. Come be a part of this family. Come find salvation in him. It's a very interesting thing. But Jesus actually said that's to be expected here, right? Because this is a supernatural love that he is showing us. This is a, 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 a divine kind of revealed love to us that says you are to consider somebody as so important that even at the expense of yourself, you are to love them. That's not human nature. That comes from God, who is love, who showed us how to love by giving himself up for us. These are the things that we need to be known by as a church, as we're the casting vision into this next steps. As a church, this is it. This is one of the core foundational blocks that we will be returning to time and time again as our love for one another. I want to be known, I want this church to be known by those things, not just for, you know, buildings or large budgets or high attendance numbers or big events or this or that, but no, what's even greater than all those things is love. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had a cymbal here, I'd be smashing it. And that's how it sounds like. Just right? No love, it sounds awful. Right? Number two here, verse two. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, 
I gain nothing. Now the Spirit of God is here in order that we may be filled to the brim with the love for God and the love for one another. This is what John 13 is pointing us to. And Jesus was very clear, this is how we are to be known. I wanna return to that early question that I started with. Why are you here? Why are you committed to this church? What keeps you coming back here sitting in the pew? I need you to to look deep into your heart this morning. Why do you want to be a part of this Emmanuel family? If you serve here to any capacity whatsoever, why do you serve here? There are major and minor reasons to be a member or to serve in the church, but this is one of those kind of blanket, you know, motivational reasons that everything else is built on top of right? I, I want Emmanuel to be a church that disciples people into giving glory to Jesus Christ and learning to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and in humility serving and loving one another and our neighbors around us, just like Jesus did. I want you to be here and meet new people, to join, to invite here, to, to meet Jesus here because of our love for one another. I want people to be members here and join here because when people walk into this church, they're not just greeted by hellos and smiling faces, but are met with people who have a towel in that back pocket ready to pull out and to serve in a moment's notice. Such love is what makes disciples out of one another. Such love is what was given to us when Christ died for us. He took away our sins that we may may receive newness of life. And I'm here to tell you that newness of life comes with a towel in hand, ready to humbly love and serve those around us as we tell them and show them the love of Christ. So as we begin closing now, um, I'm going to call Derek up as he's going to be playing a little music here. There are towels around this room, and I think you can see why now. Hopefully you've also received the communion cup. If you haven't, so you could you know, raise your hand um, and uh, Bernie here can make sure that you get one. I humbly ask that you, if you are a member here, if you want to be, you think you are, you desire to be, if anywhere that fits and that, here lies one of the most basic commitments to being the body of Christ, being willing to humbly serve and love one another and also our neighbors around us. Um, I left it in my office, meant to grab it, but when I graduated college, which was for me a seven-year endeavor, because <laughs> I got married year one and did it the slow way, um, full of long, hard years of multiple jobs, striving through much difficulty and not having a lot of money in the process and doing everything backwards, but by God's grace and by help of others, we made it through, and I finally got that diploma. I flew all the way to Chicago to walk across the famous Moody Church in downtown because all my hard work, I wanted to actually be there to get that diploma. And I'll never forget when I was in that church, this big old wooden church that was, you know, some of you graduated from Moody, you know what I'm talking about. It's a historic church. Um, when I got my diploma, it was wrapped in a towel. And that was, initially I didn't connect any dots there. The commencement address that day was very clear. Your degree in biblical studies means nothing if you are not willing to serve others like Jesus did. For in serving them like Jesus did, you will be leading them like Jesus did. So everything I'm saying this morning begins with me as a new pastor here. And I've said it before, and you'll hear me say it again, that I'm imperfect. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fail you. I'll offend you, say something stupid to you out of arrogance or self-centeredness, it'll happen because, hate to say it, I'm a sinner like you, right? And you'll do it to me. And that's kind of part of living in this world together, in this fallen world together. But the towel I got that day is still in my office. It's been there ever since I got it. And I look up at it weekly because I want to be committed to serving you like that. However imperfectly it will happen, I want to be committed to doing so. And I want to ask you to join me in that commitment, to be loving to one another, even if the person sitting next to you does not even deserve it. Remember that Judas that night had his feet washed. 
Commit alongside of me to love and serve one another, regardless of how long or how few your years have been here, regardless of what office you have or have not held. If we are not willing to be humble and to serve one another, we, according to Paul, we have nothing here. We have nothing to offer here. There's nothing tangible to be found here. And we will be in danger. If I have a little warning here that we can get from the book of Revelation, if we don't learn to do this, we'll be in danger of losing our first love and having our lampstand even removed. As the Lord leads, if you're willing, here's what we're going to do communion today. Um, please grab a towel. I want you to take it home with you as a reminder of these things. As a reminder of what it means to share in Jesus as his disciple. I want to just preface this. I'm not saying that none of you are doing this. I know a lot of you do this. A lot of you do this in ways that I don't even know because you're like so secretive about it. And that's great. And I love that. And thank you. And many of you have served me in the same way. So by no means am I like bringing some kind of word of correction here. Like many of you are just absolutely killing it here. And thank you for that. Please continue to do so. I only want to say these things out loud and as publicly as I can to ingrain it into the culture here as we step forward here in the months and years to come. So I can say by means of thank you. I mean, I just, we just called the Parlos Friday night and just showed up at their house in like a five minutes notice. And they're like, yeah, cool. So you guys are like being kind and loving here. So I'm not saying that this is, you know, but thank you, but we're going to continue in this even more so as we step forward. So as you grab, I, I would like you to, to stand in a few moments here. I want you to, to, to take a towel and I want you to take it home with you. And as communion is now before us, I want you to have the cup and I encourage you to have communion with one another, have communion with your family or have communion in your seats. I know we're still in the pandemic according to your you know, comfort levels. If you want to stand close to somebody or not, I encourage you to, um, however the Lord leads, to take communion together pray for each other, open it up and, and, and lead one another through remembering the death of Jesus Christ, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. And as you leave this place with a towel this morning, let it be a reminder of Jesus's great and grand and humble work of washing one another's feet. And may these things be what Emmanuel is known for. So let me pray as we enter into this. We'll also have our elders up here. I'll be up here if you need special prayer during this time or like to, for me to lead you in communion, I am more than willing to do so. So um, let me, uh, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, for the grace you have extended to us and of the Holy Spirit who has filled us and continually pulls us to yourself. Lord, you unleash undeserved love to us. It is never-ending. The wells of your salvation never find a bottom. And Lord, we remember that night when you humbly stooped down to wash your disciples' feet. Lord, I pray as we remember your death today, as we lead one another in small groups throughout this room, May we remember your body that was broken for us and your blood shed for us and rejoice in the grace that is ours through the cross and the newness of life that is available to us by the Spirit through your resurrection. Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in this building this morning, that you would convict hearts of sin this morning, that you would breathe encouragement and, and life into those who need it this morning. You would bring healing to those who need it this morning, Jesus, we pray that you would do a great work in this room. We love you, Lord. In these things we pray. Amen. We have towels out front, towels in the narthex, towels kind of scattered around here. Feel free to separate, grab one, group together, take communion together. And um, Derek will have just some music in the background to help lead us in this time. So as the Spirit leads, please begin.